So God's good. Now, um, we're on a series on James. You can turn to James chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to go into James chapter 4, 2 today. I think I'm going to be able to finish it next Sunday. Not promising you anything, though, okay? I thought we were going to finish this in, in the beginning of July. So anyway, uh, just the way the Lord does it. And, um, but uh, in a couple weeks, I'm planning on, it may change by a week, but I'm planning to start a series on the vision here at Cornerstone. And uh, you don't want to miss that. I'm gonna, we're going to go through, because you know what? Vision leaks. You understand that? That we forget the vision and everything. So I'm going to go through our vision here. We've got some things that are coming up and some things that we're changing around. And I want to let you know that. We have a new website. Uh, hopefully we'll be done by that time. And uh, you'll be able, we'll be able to put that up. A new logo that's coming up. We're just changing some things around here because we've just had them for years. You need to change them. And uh, we don't have a choice on our website. We have to change that by the end of August. But, um, but in two weeks, I want to encourage you to be here. And just to, we're going to just talk about the vision. Because really, our year really starts here in, in September. And our, our, our planning of reaching, discipling starts right now. This is where we begin really a lot of things. And we kind of lay out what the plan of the Lord is uh, for the next year. And of, of, of sowing, of, uh, of uh, watering, and of uh, harvesting. Amen? And so I want to kind of go through that and how we do those things. How you can be involved and should be involved. And, uh, and see people just rise up in it. Amen? And I just love that. We're all about you know, creating leaders here. And every one of you are a leader. Amen? Every one of you are to be a leader. If you're a born again believer, you are called to lead. You're not called you're called it, it may not be thousands, it may be one, but you're called to lead. And uh, you need to do your part and we're going to we're going to talk about it. that's what we're about here is is raising up disciples. So we want to talk about how we do that here so everyone will know about it. But James chapter 3 uh, verse 13, you know James, we started out James, he's kind of tricky, you know. He starts out take joy in trials and then he hits you. You know, he tells, he goes to the church and uh, the scattered church, the scattered people he's talking to, these Christians, these believers, and he hits them with, hey, this is how, this is really what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be a believer. He he starts out, yeah, you need to take joy in trials. God's going to do some good things. But then he starts to say, hey, stop talking about each other. You know, he he starts, stop, stop judging uh, you know, and he goes into these things, and this is no, no difference, but this is a good thing. And a lot of times the book of James is not something we shout down a lot because there's some things that it really hits home to us. I'm, I mean, I've, I've been convicted on some things as I'm studying, I'm looking over these things. I, I need to change. And so I want to challenge you. You hear something even today, change. Because it's, it's about the goodness and about receiving who God is and His goodness, His greatness and some things hinder us from doing that. And so this, this is part of it here. So James chapter 3, verse 13, look, listen to this. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and of the devil for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder and every evil practice 
But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in praise raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think, Scripture says without reason, that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are, who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, there's a lot of things I want to go through here and break down in, in this, this chapter and in, in chapter 4. And some really, some really good things for us to really understand. He gives us a different pictures. He gives us a different picture of wisdom. He gives us a couple of different pictures of relationships and a couple of different pictures of how we speak. And, uh, and, it's, and it's all leading us, really, to pray. And so the first part is two pictures of wisdom. Number one, he talks about a worldly wisdom. In verse 14, uh, chapter 3, verse 14, 15, 16, he says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart... Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from down from heaven, but it's earthly and spiritual and of the devil. Did you catch that? There's a wisdom that comes from the enemy. There's a wisdom that comes from hell. There's a wisdom that comes from the devil. And the danger is, and don't miss this, the danger is this, that we can think we are wise and the world can think we are wise when all reality is our thinking, our wisdom is from the pit of hell. It's not wise at all. Wisdom from this world comes from hell. And it's motivated. And this is how you can tell if your wisdom is, comes from the enemy. It's motivated by selfish ambition. Self-centeredness. So if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition. So the wisdom of the world measures everything how, by how it affects you. What's best for me? How can I advance myself? How can I promote myself? How can I exalt myself? Isn't this the core of conflict, even in our relationships, in marriage? What's, what the thinking in sometimes in marriage is what's best for me? How can I, how can I be, be, be loved? How can I please myself? How can I be thought of? It, it's, it's the core of even our relationship with our friends and family. It's the core, what's best for me? What's best, what am I going to get out of these things? It's even in the, in, in the context of church. Why, I, why do I come to a church? What, what's in it for me? 
And that's, that's, that's a selfish ambition that we look at. Why do people pick churches anymore? Well, they have this and that. They have good coffee. They have good children. And some of those things, not not the good coffee, but children's ministry. You want good youth ministry. You want those things for your family. Yes, but ultimately, why do you come to church? Is it for selfishness? Is it a selfish ambition? Is the wisdom you're receiving, oh, I need to go to this church. I need to go to come to Cornerstone because they have have a great pastor who preaches well. Everybody say amen. (laughs) No, no, why? Is 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 that the reason? Or is it, are you really hearing from the Lord? So what is best for me? It's selfish ambition. This wisdom is, is, you can tell if you're operating in the wisdom from this world. And when I talk about this world, I'm, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the spirit of the world. The enemy. Are we operating in that? It's actually the core of the American dream, isn't it? To be better than everybody else. To get all this stuff. Promote yourself, advance yourself. Put, but what does the gospel say? Deny yourself. That's what Jesus says. You deny yourself. The first will be what? Last. The last will be first. It's totally different from the way the world thinks. And it talks, James here talks about envy. And envy is constantly looking at, at, at how you compare to others around you. Envy is linked with pride and competition and always thinking, am I better or less than the other guy next to me? I remember when I was in, 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 in uh, um, elementary school, I'd come into in, in, in a new school and I'd think, man, I can beat that guy up. I can beat, you know, I, I, I'm better than that guy. You know, it's always, it's an, it's an envy. It's, it's comparison. And a lot of times we don't ever grow out of that. We still do that today, Right. It's comparing ourselves, and that's, that's part of this worldly wisdom. And the whole thing that James has been talking about, this worldly wisdom, when he, when he talked about favoritism in chapter 1 in the church, where, where the church was ignoring the poor, and it was, it was really because of self-centered ambition. They, they, the poor would come into church, and, and, think, and the people would think, well, they didn't have nothing to give to me. But the rich guy, um, I, can pro- I can profit from him. I can gain something from him. So you come and sit at the table. You poor people... You stay away. You sit at my feet, but the, the, the rich can come and sit at the table. See, worldly wisdom like that is from hell. It's motivated by the self-centered ambition, and it results. And the results of this ambition, self-centered ambition, the results of this worldly wisdom is what? Disorder and evil. Disorder and evil. Self-centered ambition results like in your homes and in marriages and in relationships and even in churches. If it's self-centered ambition, it's worldly wisdom like that, it's marked by disorder, disorder and evil. The kind of wisdom, that kind of wisdom produces anger, bitterness, resentment, strife, uh, divorce, conflict, and it comes from this worldly wisdom. And James says, hey, listen, that's not the wisdom from God. There's another wisdom. There's a godly wisdom. And the only way is that godly wisdom that comes from heaven. And it takes us back to James chapter 1 when James says, If any of you lack wisdom, he should do what? Ask God. See, there's a wisdom that cannot be found in intellectual knowledge or practical experience. There's a wisdom that can only be found when you're on your face praying and crying out to God. 
That's the only time you're going to really receive that godly wisdom. And so that's when you're crying out to Him and saying, God, I want something from You. I need something from You. And it's a totally different way to think. And it cannot be manufactured by man. Proverbs literally mentions wisdom over a hundred times. And, and, the, and in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom... And applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as silver and search for it as, as for a hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in, is blameless. And for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. So we cry aloud to God for this type of wisdom. It's not something you can read. You can get from books. And I'm not saying that you don't read books. And I'm not saying that there isn't godly wisdom in some of those things. But real godly wisdom that you and I need first must come in our prayer time. Us crying out from, for Him. And realizing that, listen, I don't have a clue. You know, the best thing I did in my life as a minister, as a pastor, as a leader, was decide that I don't have a clue on how to do this. When I, had, when I thought I had a clue, I screwed everything up. And I was stressed out. And when I decided, man, I don't have a clue. And I know you're not going to find that in the best-selling CEO books on how to lead people. You know, you're not gonna, they're not going to tell you, hey, first thing, let them know that you don't know what you're doing. That's how you're going to be successful. You're not going to find it there. But I feel like Solomon, what Solomon said in 1 Kings chapter 3, he says, I am only a child. And he says, I do not know how to carry out my duties. And so I ask you for a discerning heart to know what is right and wrong and what is good. And this is what we need to do. This is where we need to come because we're getting our wisdom from this world. And it's creeping into the church. It's creeping into our our lives. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. It's creeping into us. Where we're going, really, what this, the, the goal of worldly wisdom is this. To get you away from honoring and submitting to God. Where you think you have it together. It's called humanism. And that's the greatest threat in your life to get you away from God. See, this is a picture. When a husband and wife, when friends, when the church, when we come before God and we say, God, we need only what you can give. We're not motivated by selfish ambition anymore. Now we're motivated by God-centered humility. God, I can't do this. I can't be the husband I need to be to my wife. I can't be the father I need to be to my kids. I can't be the leader I need to be to my, with, with the, this church. I can't do it. I don't know how. I need you. I need you, God. See, wisdom, get this, wisdom from God produces humility in man. Wisdom from this world produces pride. So we need to humble ourselves before God as a husband, as wives, as as moms, as dads, as singles, as students, as whoever you are, whatever you put yourself in. Humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, I need you. I need 
to, I need to center my life on you. I, I can't do this. I can't be who you want me to be. I can't be the person that I need to be. I need your wisdom. I need what you say. I need, you need to lay down Google. Right? And say, God, I need you. Do, do, stop searching on Google. Search God. Search his heart. Because we need him. This is the picture that here that wisdom comes from the blessing of God and doesn't result in disorder or evil. If you have disorder or evil happening in your life, go to God. Get his wisdom. Just take out the junk that you've been doing, right? Take out that wisdom that you've had and say no more because the kind of wisdom that comes from God, the result is what James says is peace and righteousness. And this is what God desires for our relationship with him and our relationship with others is peace and righteousness. And if peace and righteousness is not happening in some areas of your life, then you can bet you've been relying on worldly wisdom that comes from hell. So get with God. And humbly bow down to him and say, God, I want that. And so I urge you to do that today. To ask God to deliver you from this worldly wisdom. And ask God for help. For wisdom. And get it. And receive it. And that's what James is telling this church here. You need godly wisdom. And so apparently they haven't been operating in that. And so there's been disorder. There's been evil. And that's why he's hitting them here. And then he goes into not just two types of wisdom but there's two types of relationships so he goes in chapter four now there's a break between chapter three and chapter four we see in the bible there but it wasn't written that way he flowed right into that and so it wasn't in the original letter and i think what james begins to talk about he talks about in chapter in chapter four verse one he says fights and quarrels it doesn't seem like the church is having a lot of fun here they're actually kind of screwed up right We've all been there too. And so here it is, fights and quarrels among the people of God. And it's an illustration of what happens when we live according to the wisdom of this world. There's disorder and strife and evil. And this is the outgrowth of what's summarized in verse 4 when James says, Anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. And so he goes along in this. And he talks about you're receiving Uh, worldly wisdom because you are being a friend of this world. Now, let me explain this. He's not talking about being friends with people. He's talking about, when he talks about the world, it's talking about the culture, the understanding, the thinking, the way of living of this world. So it's okay, and you should, as believers, have friends that are unsaved, that don't know the Lord. How are you going to reach them, right? So definitely do that. But you don't follow them. They don't lead you. You lead them. And so he's talking about this, this culture that's in this world that we're developing. And you can see today that people are becoming a friends of the culture. Christians are doing that, right? They're bowing their, their thinking. They're bowing what they believe because of what the world's wisdom is. And it's creating disorder and evil even in churches in, in this world. And so the picture here is, is that he, said, he says, don't anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. And, and friendship is intimacy. 
So it's intimacy with the world and intimacy and intimacy with God. So James is saying, you're going to be intimate. Whether you like that word or not, you're going to be intimate with something. You're either going to be intimate with God or in His thinking, His way of life and doing that, or you're going to be intimate with the world. He said there's no, there's no straddling the fence here. It's one or the other. How many guys know that in your own life? You've seen that in your own life. I have. I've, there's times I've been intimate with, with the world, and I've been thinking that way, and then I, then I have to repent. I have to change. I have to, no, 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 I need to, that's not godly. This, it's bringing disorder. It's bringing strife. It's bringing evil. And we've got to go in to be intimate with the Lord. And so you must be intimate with God. So friendship of the world, what does that mean? It means it comes from, he says, it comes from the sinful desires of our flesh. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, every one of us in this room, our flesh, we want selfish gain. Our flesh wants that. I don't care how holy you think you are, your flesh wants that, right? That's why we have to crucify our flesh. That's why we have to put down our flesh and let our spirit lead. So everyone in, our, in this room, we want selfish gain. We, want, we desire, our flesh desires earthly pleasure. And the problem is, when you put people who desire selfish gain and earthly pleasures together, here's what happens. Fights and quarrels. Envy, they kill and covet. That's what James says in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 4. This is serious stuff. So that's when the battle's going on within us, and it comes out in relationships. That's why marriages have a hard time if we don't realize that. Because you put two people who are selfish in some way, in some level, and you put them together, They've been single, and you put them together, and uh, they're selfish. And, they, they've been, and, if they, and there's some area in life, no matter what type of Christian or how mature they are in Christ, there's not going to be 100% um, peace in the home. How many of you guys have had in your marriage 100% peace? Don't lie. Right? Why is that? Why don't you have 100% peace? You are believers who love God, right? Why is it 100%? Because there's a selfishness in you that you have to crucify, that you have to give. And so this is the battle that's going on, and, and the result is not always 100% peace and harmony every morning and every day. And so friendship of the world comes from the sinful desires of our flesh, and it's motivated by a longing for this earthly pleasure. And James says, you're not going to God. He says in verse 2, you, do, you have not because you at, do not ask God. So he says, you're, or you may be going to God, but you're asking in the wrong way. You're asking for more stuff of this world. You're asking actually out of your selfish ambition. And he says, We've, we go to God and we get stuff and pleasure in this world. No, it's time to go to God for godly wisdom and humble yourself and lay down that selfishness. And that earthly pleasure and friendship with the world and intimacy with the world and get with God. And, and then in verse 4, you know, every time that, that James talks about his brothers in Christ, he says, oh, oh, you my brothers, dear brothers. And he says, but look what he says in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, you're having friendship with this world. Man, he brings this stinging imagery from the Old Testament. And he, and he, says, he says that we pursue our pleasures in the stuff more than we pursue God. We want all this other stuff, this sin and this, this, uh, this, the bigger stuff, bigger houses, bigger cars, and we're all about that, and we're losing the sight of God. 
And there's nothing wrong with stuff as long as stuff doesn't have you. As long as you're not intimate with that stuff and as long as they don't become a God in your life. And we're running around on God and we're cheating on Him. And the emotions that He says that's coming here, He's talking about adultery. We are adulterous people against God when we forsake Him for the pleasures of this world. And I don't want to cheat on God at all. But that's what He's saying. That's what's happening. It's like this picture. We, we are a bride. The Bible calls us a bride. And we belong to a husband, Jesus. And we have this intimacy with him. And we don't need the world and the stuff the world gives. And that's what, that's what I, I love about verse 5. Look what James says in verse 5. And this is kind of baffled. This verse has baffled scholars on how to translate that. This and it's, and it's written here in the NIV. It says, "Oh, do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely?" And so there, there's there's really a better way of translating. And in in, in in the English Standard Version or the New American Standard, really, I think gets it well. And, it's, and it's, it translates this: God jealously longs for the Spirit He made to live in us. Think about the context here. We have adulterous people who are running around with things of the world, seeking pleasures there. And James says, don't you know that God jealously longs for his spirit to live in you? It's the picture that he, he has used for his affection of the people throughout the Old Testament. He, he, Exodus thirty four fourteen says, God is a jealous God. What does that mean? It, it means that he's a husband and I'm jealous for the affections of my bride. I'm jealous for her love. And anything or anyone that attempts to steal that love uh, and affection from me is going to be met with the greatest opposition. See, he's a husband that wants your love, wants your affection. In the same way, that's why God just loves that. He wants you and he wants to pour out everything he has on you. His goodness, his greatness, his love, his being. And don't miss this. This is not some insecure jealousy that we have. It's a jealousy that is so much better. It's an infinitely good jealousy because God knows everything that's in him is more satisfying than anything we can find in this world. And he wants you to have it. He wants you to know that infinite pleasure that's in can be found in him. And he wants you to forsake the friendship of this world, the thinking of this world, this way of, of this culture, the way of life of this world, and get with him. And so James is saying, don't be adulterous. Be a friend of God. So he says, pursue friendship with God. And it comes uh, from just being with him and loving him and laying down your life, denying yourself. It doesn't come from the sinful desires of your flesh. It comes from the gracious desire of God. And I love what verse 6 says. Look at verse 6. He gives us more grace. I love that phrase. As, as if that the grace that he's already given us wasn't enough. That enablement, that grace that he has for us, that he's already given us. Is, it was plenty. But what does he do? He gives us more grace. That means tomorrow morning, you're going to receive more grace if you want it. If you humble yourself, you deny yourself. And say, God, I need you. Not the world's wisdom. Not the world's way of life. I want to be a friend of you. And as you wake up, he's going to do 
He's going to give you more grace. Throughout the week, he's going to give you more grace. He's going to give you overflowing abundance, more than you need grace. There is no reason for us to love this world. We have enough grace, more grace, to love him. It's just we just need to recognize it. He's pouring it out on us. And he doesn't stop. He gives us more grace. He gives grace to the humble. The God of the universe, who calls the stars by name, who mountains bow down before him, oceans obey him. The God, that God is jealous for your affections. Think about it. Right now, your affection, not the person right next to you, yours. He's jealous for that. He's not jealous where he's angry and mad. He's jealous because he desires to be with you. He desires to pour all that he is into you. He wants you to embrace it. We need to look higher than this world, people. Church, we need to look higher than this world. There's a higher plane for you and I to live on. Another way to live. And it's not for earthly pleasure. It's motivated for a longing for the eternal satisfaction. The kind of satisfaction only God can give. It's by you and I just reaching out to Him. And it results in submission to the authority of God. Just bowing down to Him and realizing, I, I, I can't do this. I don't know enough. I need you, God. And I deny myself. That sin, that thought, those thoughts, that way of life, that thinking, I deny myself. And I allow you to lead me in it. I trust you, God. That's why we have to do that in every area of our life, right? We lay down those things. You know, I, I submit everything to the Lord. If I'm going to buy a car, if I'm going to buy, I, I, I submit it to Him. I don't want to do it by self. I don't want to do it in my I've done things in my own strength before. In my own way. I've got things in my own way and it didn't work out well. How many's ever done that before? How many's ever been in debt before? Yeah, you've got things in your own way, right? But God says He's my provider. I need to submit those things to Him. How many of you've been in bad relationships before? Because you want it love, which is a natural thing, something God's put inside of you, and you got hurt. How many have ever been hurt before? Well, you need to submit those things to the Lord and give it to Him and let Him entrust Him and say, God, you're all I need, and allow Him to give it. I love what St. Augustine said. He said, what God demands, God gives. It's simple. That's such a great truth. So submit to Him, and He gives you that. So how do you submit to Him? You want to grow in intimacy with God? Well, James lays out some commands here. He lays out some commands. If you want to grow in intimacy with God, you want to be a friend of God, this is what he says. Number one, resist the devil forcefully. Stop resisting God. Isn't that what we do sometimes when we hear certain things from the Word? We read something, we hear somebody preach it. We kind of say, nah, I don't want to do that. So we resist God, don't we? We don't do what the Word says. Stop resisting God and resist the devil forcefully. You resist the devil, and he will flee. When you're tempted to do things that you're not supposed to do, resist the devil. Run! Right? Run! Go find someone to help pray with you. Call somebody. Get out of the house. 
Run, resist. When you're tempted to act, to spin, to whatever, uh, to be angry, to worry, whatever in your life, resist the devil and he will flee. He has to flee. He has to flee. So you resist the devil forcefully. Then he says, if you want to have intimacy with God, seek God passionately. Look at what he says in James 4.8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. You. Intimacy with God. As you resist the devil, go into seeking God. Start praying. Start getting out the word. Put on worship music. Trust me, you're not going to sin worshiping God. Right? You know what's going to happen? You're going to shut off the music. You're going to close your Bible when you stop resisting. But when you resist and you get out the Bible and you start worshiping, you start praying, there's no way you're going to sin. No way. In fact, if you're in worry, how many of you ever been in a worry fit, fit before? Start worshiping and praying. And resist that temptation to worry and put your focus on God. So he says, resist the devil forcefully and then seek God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. And then pursue purity holistically. Look what he says in verse 8. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is external and it is internal. Wash your hands, your lives, wash your hearts, your thoughts. And you do that through prayer and the word. You change your thinking. Because where, where does sin start? Right here. You don't sin accidentally. It's premeditated. You plan it. So how do you cleanse it? By the renewing of your mind. Romans 12. Get into the word. Speak the word. Speak what God says. Speak what he says. And that's so you pursue purity holistically. Inside and out. And then you treat sin seriously. James 4 and 9. Because I think a lot of times we, we know we can be forgiven. And we have the grace of God. But you know, sin still hurts. Right? It still kills. It still can destroy. And so look what James says. And this is something that none of us will ever amen when we hear it. Verse 9, it says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Amen. I mean, we just, how many has ever not read that? You just kind of skip over that one. Now let's go back. You give me more grace. Now what he's talking about here, it's kind of depressing in a sense if you kind of look at it just like it is. But we've totally lost the holy art of grieving over sin and mourning and wailing over sin. We need to do that. When's the last time you grieved over your sins? God, oh, I'm sorry. God, I know, I know it, it was wrong against you, and I know, but it hurt me and probably others around me. Oh, it hurt. I'm sorry, Lord. And it's not a condemnation he's talking about here. It's a humility. Yeah, I have grace. Yeah, God has mercy. Yeah, I'm forgiven. But I need to submit and say, God, I'm sorry. And I have to realize, because the thing about it is, we have to realize that that is wrong. Wrong. 
friendship of the world. We think it's no big deal. And James says it's a huge deal. Treat sin seriously. And here's the beauty of all this, of what James is saying here. Here's the beauty. It's verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and what will happen? He will lift you up. When you humble yourself before God, grieving and weeping and mourning and wailing over your sin, then you don't have to lift yourself up. Guess who does it? God. He comes in and he says, I forgive you, son. I forgive you, my daughter. Let me show you how to live. Let me show you what you missed out. I want to give you that. I want to show you. See, because this is what sin does. It's a perversion of what God has for you. Right? It's a perversion of love. It's a perversion of of things that he already has that's even far better. It's trying to get you to get something way, way less than what God has for you. That's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark, right? You hit something, right? But you don't hit the mark. You're going to hit something, but you don't hit the mark. You don't hit the bullseye. You may hit around the bullseye, but it's not, it's not really what is God intended, Right? That's what sin is. So you've, you've, you've allowed something in your life that's flawed. That's not perfect. That's not God. And so that's what's, what happens when we sin. So we need to grieve over that. Man, why did I do that? Like Paul says, I don't know why I do the things I don't want to do. Why did I do that? God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And he, he's faithful and just. He's going to forgive you. Yes. But allow him, as you humble yourself when you sin, to be lifted up by God. And guess what God does? He always lifts you higher than where you were before. He brings you to where he is. And that's why we resist the devil forcefully. We seek God passionately. We pursue purity holistically. We treat sin seriously. And then we trust God completely. Because he will give you grace and He will lift you up. He will raise you up. And that's what the Lord wants. That's what James is telling this church here. And we can learn a lot from this. By humbly saying, God, I need you. I need your wisdom. Amen? Because this is what's happening in this church. They're, they're obeying the world more than they're obeying God. They're following the things of the world. And these are Christians. These are born-again, spirit-filled believers who are forsaking some of the things of God. They're not completely bad people, probably. You look at them, they're, they look good on the outside. But James knows what it because there's evil happening. There's disorder happening. Look what happens. Look what he deals with now. He talks about speech. I know Pastor Joe talked a little bit about this last week. He says, now the picture leads finally to two pictures of speech here. Worldly speech, and, and which discourages one another. He talks about slander. To slander is to speak against a brother, about a brother to someone else, about a sister in the Lord, in a way that does not build them up. Slandering one another kills, he says. It kills community. It kills marriages. It kills families. It kills the church. And this is the word he uses. It's hatred. You kill and you covet. Don't speak like that. In fact, in Proverbs 6, it talks about the seven things that God hates, and one of them is slander. It's speaking against a brother and sister in the Lord. 
And God hates that. He says, don't stir up dissension with your brothers and sisters, with your wife or child. He says, don't do that. It's not talking about having tough conversations with people. It's talking about speaking. It's about gossip, about speaking against other people. Not even in the local church, but in the body of Christ. Listen, if you Google something about another minister, you are speaking about that person if you read that stuff. Man, that's just good. Oh, you want to find the trash about somebody else that's on TV, don't you? Ooh, I'm hitting the cord here, am I? It's called gossip. And it's hatred. And God hates that. Well, Sean, what if it's true? It's none of your business. Are, are, are they here? Can you talk to them? Can you go to them? Most likely not. So let it be. Let it be. Let it be. <laughs> right? And we have a lot of growing up to do. I'm, I'm, me too. I'm, I'm like my mom. She says she's communicating, but she's nosy. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like that too. Oh, I want to know. What's the, what's the, what's, what do I want to know so I can pray, you know? No, it's, just, it's, it's wrong. And that's what he says. Don't stir up dissension with your brother and sister. And the person on TV is your brother and sister in the Lord. I don't know what they're doing. That's not your business. You let God be the judge. You let him. Leave him alone. If it's me and you feel like I'm doing something, you can come to me. If it's your brother here, you're supposed to go to them, right? So he says, don't do that. He says, go in them love, God-centered humility. That's what that brings. But this church is so full of the worldly wisdom, friendship with the world, and their speech is causing dissension. And it dishonors God. So give yourself, he says, the godly speech that what? Encourages one another and exalts God. And here's the picture. The Bible is saying, calling us to forsake the world in order to love the world. To forsake the world. Forsake the culture so you can actually love it in a God kind of way. Because if you follow the culture of this world, you're going to love like the world. And what does the world say? I love you, but what can you give to me? God says, I love you. Nothing else. And James is saying that. Brothers and sisters, he's saying, live and think differently. Have different desires and affections. Live differently. Not having friendship with the world. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of faith, it talks about, it says that they were aliens and strangers in this world. In the way of this world. Thinking. Amen? That's what God wants us to be. So there's two kinds of wisdom. Worldly, godly, humble yourself and realize you don't have it and you need God. There's two types of friendships. The friendship with the world, the culture of this world, or the friendship with God. Deny yourself, deny the pleasures of this world and go after God. Be a friend of God. Don't be an adulterous people. Be a friend with God. There's two kinds of speech. One that builds up and one that tears down. Reject the ones that tear down. 
every single time. If someone comes to you and wants to tear down somebody else, says, no, I will not act like the devil. <laughs> I'm going to act like God. Isn't that right? So no, I'm going to act like God. What can we say about that person that's good? Amen? What can I, what can I say about that person that's good? And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. And then you're going to go to them. And I'm, I'm going to call you in a, in, in a couple of days, see if you've gone to them. If you haven't, I'm going to call them to say that you need to go to them. Amen? And guess what, we're, what James is saying here? Then you're going to be like God if you do those things. How many of you want to be like God? Come on, raise your hand if you're a Christian in here. Yeah, we want to be like That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, listen, get this. If we do what James says here, what do you think the world's going to want? To be like you. Right? Because they have all the drama. They have all the evil. They have all the disorder. And they don't want that. They want to be like Jesus. They want the faith, the patience, the love, the building up. Amen? And when we become like that, we become this community of faith that, man, I want to be like that. Amen? I want to be like them. I want to I see that. I want to have that. Amen? And that's what God wants. Amen? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray.